So Matthew chapter 17 from verses 1 to 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Well, good morning. So good to be here with you this morning and to be opening up the Gospel of Matthew. So thanks for joining us, whether uh, this is your first time here at church or whether you've been with us all year and through these couple of years of pandemic. Um, I'm Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And, uh, and I, too, am looking forward to all our Christmas celebrations ahead. Um, as Jacob said, look, we don't have a petting zoo now, but there's going to be something great. My vote, my vote was that I wanted to have that, um, you know that soccer where you're in a giant orb ball or whatever? Yeah, see, I see a lot of nodding heads, but the team said to me, the Christmas celebration isn't just about what you personally would like to do on a Sunday. Anyway, I don't know, cast your votes, we'll see. But the other thing is that week will be the first week, so it's a carols week, but we won't be wearing masks that week. But everyone should... Everyone should bring them, and then we can throw them in the, like a graduation, like it's, it's over. Again, we don't want to be caught out celebrating too prematurely that the pandemic, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, but really, come along to that, invite people. It's going to be a great week to celebrate Christmas together. And for people to be invited into a community, there's a long history of celebrating Christmas. That's something that's missing, I think, in a secular Western culture. And so it's a great opportunity to be a part of that. Uh, and if you yourself are here, you wouldn't consider yourself particularly spiritual or religious. Great chance to see what the meaning of Christmas is in a church community. We'd love to have you along to that. It's going to be really fun. And then Christmas Day as well, 9.30 in the church building it will be. A great time to, uh, to celebrate the meaning of Christmas together. So that's a couple of things coming up uh, that would be worth getting into. But today, the passage that we have before us is an incredible passage of Scripture. And something is revealed about who Jesus is here that is incredibly unique and powerful. And there's going to be one clear message from today, and it's listen to Jesus. And that might sound like a simple thing, but the truth is there are many voices that can have a powerful impact on your life, particularly powerful voices early on in your life. I wasn't a very good student at school, and for whatever reason, there was just one week when I was in year three, so eight years old, where I, I just got busted for a bunch of things in the one week. And I'd been to see the deputy principal a bunch of times, and it all sort of come to a head when in an assembly, kind of like in a hall like this, I was sitting down, and I was just talking. And of course, you're not allowed to talk during an assembly, but I think the deputy at that point had had absolutely enough of me. And he called me out, and he got onto my eye level, and I think he really wanted to land this hard. And so he said to me, you, <laughs> it's not that funny, <laughs> said, you are a disgrace to your family. And I stood there, and I was like, yeah, right. Like, you know, tried to sort of brush it off. And I went and sat down, and I said to the teacher at the end of the row, can I just go to the bathroom? 
just like, yeah, and I went to the bathroom and I just cried my little eight-year-old eyes out. Now, I can happily say that I didn't have a huge identity crisis after that moment. I didn't worry that I was the black sheep of the family, even though he knew that my sister was at the school and she was exemplary and a school captain. But I got to be school captain too, so just, you know, came good in the end. Um, but I can happily say, look, it didn't have a huge impact on seeing myself as like the black sheep of the family or something like that. But I am surprised and shocked even at just how much impact that had on me. Maybe that explains why if you were with us last week, I went on that long rant about teachers that hate kids. It's really it's left an indelible mark on me. But I wonder if there are moments like that that you could remember where something profound was said to you. Maybe it was a, a parent figure. Maybe it was someone else. But where there was something said to you that has stuck with you or maybe even been hard to shake. Whether someone made a comment about your character or who you are or what you are like and it stayed with you. When you think about what you really believe about yourself and about life, who did you hear it from? Who were the significant voices in your life that you believed when it came to understanding what life is really about and who you actually are and what you're here to do? Because you might say, well, look, I listen to myself, and certainly that's true, but no one is an island. We were all raised in communities, and there were people that you heard and believed And it gave you a sense of what life is actually about and who you are. The only question is, who was it and why did you listen to them? The clear statement from today is listen to Jesus. And listen to Jesus for two very important reasons. Because he is powerful and good at the same time. And we're going to see in this passage that that's why the disciples are told to listen to Jesus. But that that message remains true for us that whether you are here for the first or 50th time, you're called to listen to Jesus because he is powerful and good. And if that is true about him, then there is no one who has as much authority to speak over our lives about what it should be about than Jesus himself. And so I'm going to pray that whatever week you have had or whatever is running through your mind, that we might be able to set that aside just for a morning and just sit under God's word and to listen to Jesus. I'm going to pray right now. Father, we praise you that you speak. You speak through your word. You've spoken ultimately through your son. That in the past, in many ways, you've spoken through the prophets. But you've spoken finally through Jesus. That we might understand who our God is and what you are like. And so we just pray that we would behold Jesus as he really is this morning in your word. We pray this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, to get you up to speed to where this story kind of enters into the story of Matthew, last week we saw that Jesus was finally rightly identified. There's been a lot of stir about who Jesus is. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching publicly. He's been causing a fuss. And there's a lot of banter about who this guy is. And Jesus asks his disciples, takes a quick survey, who do people say that I am? Some people are saying a prophet, a significant teacher. But eventually someone gets it right. Peter says, you are the Christ. Now Christ wasn't Jesus' surname. It was a title and it meant king. And it was the king that God's people had been waiting for. The one who was going to save his people. The one who was going to fix everything that's wrong with the world. The Christ. And Peter gets it right and Jesus says, you're right. But then right at the end of that passage last week, I don't know if you noticed it, just tucked in right at the end, 
there's this little comment that Jesus makes in Matthew 16. He says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here today. So that's his disciples, just the 12 of them. He says, There are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what it sounds like he's saying here is that Jesus promised to come back a second time. The Christian belief is that Jesus came once to die for our sins, to proclaim the gospel, but he's coming back to judge the world and to set things right. And so it sounds like here he's saying, hey, some of you who are standing here, some of you 12, won't die before that happens. And some have assumed that that's what the meaning of his comment is there. And therefore, they've assumed that obviously the disciples thought that Jesus was going to come back while they were alive, but he didn't. That's why it's all wrong. The gospel isn't to be believed. But you can see quite clearly what Jesus meant by this statement, by what happens next. He's about to reveal his full power to them. He's about to show the power that's going to bring this kingdom into the world to them, and he's going to do it real soon. And that's why we get these first words in chapter 17. Look at what it says. It says, after six days, so six days after he said, some of you aren't going to die before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Matthew says six days after that, Jesus takes with him kind of the inner circle. So out of his 12 disciples, there was three that he was really close with, Peter and then James and John were brothers. And he takes the three of them and they go up on a mountain. And while they're there, he's transfigured before them. It says his face shone and his clothes became radiant. They're seeing something incredible here. Jesus starts shining bright light, and then suddenly Elijah and Moses are there. So Jesus goes full indie film on them, and they don't know what to do with this. And to explain a little bit of what's going on here, we just need a bit of context. So Elijah and Moses were considered the two great prophets in the Old Testament, that is the Bible that we have before the arrival of Jesus. And both of them had an encounter with God. No one has ever met God face to face, not even them. But they had a kind of an encounter with where he revealed something of his power and his glory to them. And for both of them, it happened on a mountain. And for both of them, in describing the experience, it's reaching the very upper limits of human language. Moses describes meeting something of kind of like the presence of God, speaking to him out of a burning bush that was burning, but the bush wasn't on fire. And that was the best he could explain it. Then he has to hide behind a rock while not God goes past, but God's glory passes by. And even that's almost too much for him. Then Elijah meets God again on a mountain, but has to hide in a cave, and something like fire kind of goes past him. And so we see that they're kind of reaching the upper limits of human language. But the point of having them there this time is that both of them had an encounter with God, but were not God. In this story... Jesus doesn't have an encounter with God. He is revealed to be God himself. He isn't seeing a light. He is radiating with light. He's revealing his power to them. Now, as you read the description, you might have been asking the question, what is the deal with shiny Jesus here? 
the description as it reads may make you think that Jesus has gone fabulous, that actually he just looks shiny and he's got a big white coat on or something like that, and it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be very awe-inspiring or terrifying. But we see in the description here that the disciples are terrified. So there's something more going on here. See, the consistent pattern in the Bible is that when people encounter even a fraction of God's presence... The way they describe it, it reaches the very limits of human language. And what they describe is an experience of fire or light or something that overwhelms the senses or that even starts to cause them to lose consciousness or go blind. And there's something more going on here. And probably the best I can explain it is there is something about meeting even just being revealed even a fraction of the presence of God that is such a powerful force that it's almost more than our human bodies can handle. You can think of it in this way. Air Force pilots, or fighter jet pilots in particular, have to be very conscious of, it, of the speed that they're doing when they actually undertake a turn. Because when you do that, the forces acting upon the body can multiply so quickly that before, in just a fraction of a second, you can find yourself with too much force on the body and can end up knocking yourself out, which when you're flying a fighter jet is obviously not a great state to be in. But pilots will know that as the forces start to act on the body, the first symptom that you are kind of being overwhelmed is that you get what's called a gray out. So that's where you kind of go into tunnel vision. Everything goes black and white. You lose your peripheral vision. The second stage is blackout, where you're conscious, but you've been blinded. And the third stage is lock or loss of consciousness, where you've completely, obviously, lost consciousness. And it's because the forces acting on the body are too great for the body to handle. When sinful human beings encounter a holy, God, a holy God, it's almost as though their bodies cannot handle it. And in the description here, they describe it as like being overwhelmed by a light that is painfully bright. In Luke's account of this same story, the disciples, it says, become sleepy. Not because they're bored or they didn't get a nap in the day, but they are losing consciousness. The descriptions in the Bible when people encounter just something of the presence of God often results in people falling on their face. John describes himself falling down as one dead. Isaiah in the Old Testament says, Woe to me, I'm a sinful human being, I'm undone. There is a sense that God's presence is so powerful and overwhelming that it's almost about to break us apart. And yet the other strange thing about it is that whilst it's overwhelming and there is a sense of imminent danger or even death, that there is also a kind of goodness about it that makes people want it not stop. Look at what Peter says here after he struggles to just respond to what's happening. Jesus reveals himself in power and then in Matthew 17, 4, it says, And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Peter is terrified, but he's also hyped and doesn't really know what to do. So he's just seen Jesus break out in cosmic power and he's like, "Um, I'm going to build some tents. And he says, I'll build one for you and one, I guess, for Elijah and Moses just for coming along for the ride. He doesn't really, he's like a kid who's had too much sugar and then just does burnouts. He doesn't know quite what to do. So he's like, I'll build some tents. And I, I don't know if you noticed in the passage, But nobody engages with his offering. He puts it out there and it's just a big anyway moment. 
and they just carry on. But his suggestion here isn't as trivial as it seems. The, the Jewish people had a festival called the Festival of Booths, or meaning the Festival of Tents, which wasn't like a bush doof or something like that. It was a celebration, a commemoration of the time when as a people, they were wandering through the desert and they had to live in tents. So they had a festival every year to commemorate that. And maybe that's in recent memory and he thinks this would be a, an appropriate response to what's happening. But any which way you cut it, Peter is like, something truly remarkable has just happened and we need to kind of remember it. And he's responded in this way. But again, no one engages with it. And instead you hear the voice of God the Father speaking through a bright cloud, overwhelming and terrifying them, saying, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That is the clear summary of their experience. Peter doesn't know how to respond to it, so God interjects and says, This is how you respond. You listen to Jesus. If you want to know what to do with all of this, listen to Jesus. Their call was to listen to him. Now at that moment in time, I imagine they're probably not thinking anything else. When someone else breaks out in, you know, in a, a, re- a revelation of cosmic power before you, like, yeah, I'm going to listen to that guy. If he says something, I'm going to do it for sure. But as time goes on in this story of the gospel, they are going to forget that. In fact, in a short amount of time, Peter's going to get to the point where he denies even knowing Jesus, even to just a young girl who asks him if he's a follower of Jesus. And so God here is saying, no, remember this. Know who Jesus is, the greatness of his power, and listen to him. Listen to him. And you might be thinking, well, if this is who Jesus really is, why wouldn't anyone listen to him? Even in a modern scientific secular culture like this, if this is really true about who Jesus is, why wouldn't we? I'll say because to listen to Jesus means accepting two things. It means accepting Jesus' judgment of you and his justification of you. The reason a lot of religious leaders rejected Jesus was because he told them something they didn't want to hear. He said to them, you're sinners who need help. Jesus said, I've come not to call righteous people who think that they're okay with God. He said, I've come to call sinners. Not only that, but he says, I've come to seek and save the lost. So to accept that Jesus is God means accepting his judgment of you, that you are lost and a sinner who needs his help. And that's quite humbling. And that's why a lot of the religious teachers in Jesus' day rejected him and in fact sought to kill him. But it also means not just that. It means that you accept his justification of you. Because his judgment is not the only thing he says about you, that you're a sinner who's lost. He also says you are forgiven. Time after time he declares to people that their sins are forgiven that you are loved, that the love of God is upon you, that if you know Jesus and believe in him and listen to him, then you're a sinner who's been saved completely, washed, made new, restored. And I think if this is true, then it should be the case that anyone who listens to Jesus should be the most secure person on the planet. And I think, it's, I think that's a logical application of the gospel. If we really listen to Jesus... We should be the most secure people on the planet for this reason. If you listen to Jesus and someone has some kind of criticism of you, then you can say, well, of course there are issues with you. Of course I have issues. I'm a sinner. I needed grace. I needed Jesus to come and to die for me. Of course. You can't be that shocked or defensive even about it. 
But more than that, you'll also be secure because you'll know that you are loved and made new. So you won't collapse in depression about your flaws or mistakes, knowing that actually Jesus has made a way back from that, that he loves you, that the God of the universe is for you and loves you and delights in you. I don't know any other worldview that would prevent you from falling into either thinking too much or too little of yourself. It's almost as if Jesus is right, that, he's, that in the gospel we see both our judgment and our justification and that Jesus can make us whole. And so the question is, do you listen to Jesus? What do you say about yourself? What do you catch yourself saying about yourself? Is it more on the thinking too much of yourself side? Will you find yourself saying things along the lines of, I'm better than others, smarter than others, more accomplished than others? We might not articulate it in that way. But as you look out and see the people around you who are thoroughly incompetent, of course the inverse of that is, I'm a competent person who gets things done. I'm good, I'm smart, I'm capable. If that's the case, the gospel is humbling. Jesus says you're a sinner who actually needed help. But more than that, if you find yourself saying things like, I'm useless, I'm a waste of time, I've done it again, of course I would be like this, I'm dumb, I don't know why I tried these things, then who are you to speak over Jesus? Because he says you are loved, you are made in his image, and that you are worth dying for. That God himself came to demonstrate his love towards you in Christ. It's good to listen to Jesus. God says to the disciples, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's the one you should listen to. He's the one who has the answers. And it's not just because he's powerful, it's also because he's good. Look at what he does for the disciples in this next section. In Matthew 17, 7 8 it says, But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So Jesus sees that his disciples are completely terrified by this situation. They've had an encounter that they can't explain. They are shocked, terrified, afraid. And Jesus comes up to them, almost like ruffles their hair like kids. And these are, these are grown men. They're not easily afraid. Peter, later in the gospel, cuts off a soldier's ear. He is not easily spooked. But having encountered something of the presence of God, they are terrified. And Jesus comes up to them and says, don't be afraid. And if Jesus says, don't be afraid, you listen to him. If Jesus says, don't be afraid, then we have no reason to fear. Because Jesus is the one who, because of his death and resurrection, means that you'll be able to stand before a holy God and not be afraid, and instead be drawn in like his own child. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Look, the best I can explain it is that when someone has complete authority in their domain, it's right and natural to trust in that authority. We recently got someone out to, our dog's been a little bit edgy and that sort of thing. Hey, we've had a, a dog for over a year and I haven't given any dog illustrations. I think that's quite, thank you, I think that's quite self-controlled. Um, but um, but we, had, we had someone come out recently to just, just fix some of the edginess around other dogs and that sort of thing. And because of my wife Mel's winning ways, we're now best friends with them and their family and so they just come around all the time. And so yesterday they came around, we went out to the markets to get um, bacon egg rolls and all this sort of stuff and he brought along with him his dog which is a black German sh it, it looks like a, it's an absolute weapon and it's a it's a bomb dog it's a drug detection dog it's a um, 
Like he's, he's, he's military trained, so he looks after security dogs, but it's also an attack dog. And he said, do you want to see what it can do? And I thought, yeah, I would like to see that. <laughs> and then he said, okay, I'm going to get you to hold this. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'd like to see what it can do to someone else, or like as a de- demonstration. I didn't say any of that, because he was in the army, I didn't want to show weakness, so I was like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, like, oh, yeah, is that all, okay, yeah, easy, you don't want it to latch onto my arm, fine, yeah, and so I had to hold this thing, and he stood from about, say, here to, to the wall towards me, and he winds the dog up, so it's, its trigger word is watch him, so he says, watch him, watch him, and so he's got the, the reins on this dog, and it's pulling at the reins, it's baring its teeth, it's staring right at me, and he's saying, watch him, watch him, watch him. And then the, the, the trigger word is at him. And as soon as he says at him, the dog charges and goes for this thing. So he says, just hold it. He says, don't move. Yes, sir, I will not move. I don't plan to. And so he sends this dog. He says, at him. And the dog gets at this thing. It goes straight for the toy and then just basically tears it to shreds. And I step aside and I'm happy to be alive and here with you today. <laughs> and the kids asked me afterwards, were you, were you afraid? As it looked to me, I was actually quite nervous, especially when he's winding the thing up. I was like, we don't have to wind it all the way up. We can just keep it at like a level three or something, can't we? But I said, but ultimately, I trust that I know that this is his expertise. He has complete authority in this area. And so I trust that it's going to actually work out. He's not doing something ridiculous. And of course it did. How much more so to Jesus, who is the author over all things? How much more can you trust Jesus, the one who came to earth to to sinful humankind to die in our place to demonstrate his power over sin and death? When Jesus says, don't be afraid, there's nothing to be afraid of. And if you trust Jesus and your life is in his hands, there's nothing to fear. He's in complete control. And so the question I'd have for you today is, do you trust Jesus? Do you listen to him? If you're someone here who describes yourself as skeptical or even just figuring things out, can I encourage you that there is no more pressing question heading into next year, pandemic even, there is no more pressing question than to know who Jesus is and whether or not he is worth trusting. Because so many people have got to the brink of considering the greatness of Jesus and then kind of just left it on the shelf. Lord Kenneth Clark who was one of Great Britain's most prominent art historians and authors. I hadn't heard of him before this, but, uh, but maybe you have. But, uh, but he was a producer on the, on the uh, BBC television series Civilization, and so has some authority in matters of history. And in his autobiograph- autobiographical account, he describes what he would say is kind of an encounter with God. He himself uh, would be self-described, say, atheistic, agnostic would be his worldview. But he explains it in this way. He says, I had a religious experience, and it took place in the church of San Lorenzo. But it did not seem connected with the harmonious beauty of the architecture. I can only say that for a few minutes, my uh, whole being was radiated by a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I'd experienced before. This state of mind lasted for several minutes, but wonderful as it was, it posed an awkward question in terms of my action. My life was far from blameless. I would have to reform. My family would think I was going mad. And perhaps after all, it was a delusion, for I was in every way unworthy of such a flood of grace. Gradually, the effect wore off, and I made no effort to retain it. 
I think I was right. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course, but I had felt the finger of God. And I'm quite sure, although the memory of the experience has faded, it still helps me understand the joys of the saints. He says that he encountered something that made him question his own worldview and where it made him wonder whether or not there was something more to this life and maybe even a transcendent God who could be known and encountered, but reckoned at the same time that he was too embedded in his way of living and current worldview and decided to leave it alone and since then it's been just a memory that's kind of faded on the shelf. Can I encourage you that if anything this morning or if there's been a moment where it's just seemed to you like there is something more to this life than what it appears to pursue that instinct. Because in this passage of this morning, it says that Jesus is powerful and good, that there is a God who has made all things and yet knows you and loves you and has done everything necessary to bring you back in a relationship with him. And we would love to help you with that. Look, we run something called Alpha. We're doing it every week at the moment. And you're welcome even now in week four to join us this afternoon as we have lunch and dive into the claims of Jesus. But can I encourage you over this Christmas, keep coming along and don't just leave it on the shelf. It is too important to get left alone on a bunch of busy sort of to-do lists that we have. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the call would be to not forget the greatness of Jesus. See, one obvious application from this morning in a text that says, where God says, this is my son, listen to him, would be to kind of just, look, we need to be a people who open our Bibles and who read, who understand who God is. But I just want to go a slightly different tack with that. I want to challenge you this week to do something that's going to open you up to a sense of wonder and transcendence. Because I think the pattern over this year, kind of like Jacob alluded to before, is that because of the lockdown and all kinds of things that are out of our control, our worlds have certainly shrunk over the year, haven't they? And when that happens, what tends to happen is that our, our imagining that there would be a God who is great and beyond our understanding kind of seems just that little bit more implausible. And I reckon there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that we encounter, and I don't want to wade into the good art versus bad art kind of debate, um, but there is, there is a lot of art that we encounter that, that tends to incline us back in towards ourselves. Let me explain it in this way. We went, to, we went to an art installation at Cockatoo Island, which you can, you can potentially see from here. Is that right? Maybe not. I don't know. That's a, that's a side point. But um, we went there, and you walked into this room, and it was, it was clear what the intention of the artwork was. The, obviously, the artist had had a bad week, and they wanted you to experience what that was like. <laughs> so you walked into a room where there was wall-to-wall screens of bodies doing kind of inhuman, contorted things, and it was on loop repetition so just constant right it's meant to be just sort of sensory overload and so you walk out of it and think man i'm so glad to be out of there is one thing but also reflecting on it, the the design of the art was to kind of replicate some of the artist's experience and kind of give that to you but it was an experience of kind of claustrophobia kind of being harassed just kind of inside yourself now i think there are two types of art there is art that will push you back into yourself and make you more self-reflective and kind of get you to reflect on your own experiences. But there is also art that's designed to open you up to the idea that there are bigger and greater realities out there. There are eternal things, virtues. There is even a God who is beyond our imagining. And I want to challenge you over this week 
to engage with something that's going to open you up to the sense that there is an enormous God out there who knows you and loves you. And this could be anything. Maybe for you it's reading something that's fantasy that actually opens up the imagination. Switch off Netflix. Tiger King 2 is out. Just set it aside for like a decade. Put it in a vault somewhere. Uh, no one's ever going to be like, I really didn't live my best life because I missed season two of Tiger King. And instead, maybe w- replace that, watch or listen to something that's going to open your mind to the transcendent. A documentary on the, the grandness of nature, on space. To listen to some, and look, I don't know that much about classical, but classical music. Something that has a sense of grandeur and wonder and transcendence to it. And then to reflect that we worship a God who created the universe. Now, I don't know, hopefully that makes enough sense. You're kind of getting the vibe with where I'm going with that. I don't know, I thought I'd just go a slightly different tack for it this week. But I just want to encourage you that we are not to forget how great Jesus is. And the ordinary pattern of our life is that we naturally will forget. As we get into the busyness of things, even leading up to Christmas, our lives shrink down to just what I'm doing in the next day or even hour. And we forget that there is a God who knows us, who loves us, who created the universe, and who has revealed himself in his word. And so to regard him. And so something we can do actually together right now is that after this, we're going to sing. And one of the gifts of music is that it does actually open you up to the, to the idea of transcendence. And we're going to sing words uh, that really they were written long ago because there were other Christians who experienced the greatness of God and wanted to help the church to engage in that in song. And so in a moment, we're going to do that. But as I mentioned last week, singing is something that's kind of newly back to us and i'm sure there are many reasons that will cause you to pause singing and one of them is the fact that we're in a big room here and so sometimes you can hear yourself and as as australians we're terrified of hearing ourselves sing i was reminded of this this week when i turned the the speaker in the car up to absolute top volume put the windows down started singing the bluetooth cut out so it was just me (laughs) and i can't really sing and the terror just crept in on me now I think in this church context, sometimes that happens. You worry that you're going to be the person who sings the next verse when there's a break. You're like, ah, and then you just like quietly perish. (laughs) Or that somehow you're going to be found out that you can't sing. Don't worry, none of us can sing, right? So it's it's a great blessing to be able to sing together. But I want to encourage you that as we sing these songs, you would reflect on the God that you are worshiping. And to get us in that mind, as as the band comes up and as they get ready to lead us in this next hymn, I just want to read to you from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, the Jesus that we're dealing with here, the Jesus that the disciples encountered, the Jesus that God said is my own dear son with whom I am well pleased, the Jesus that we are to listen to. In Colossians 1, 15 to 20, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray that as we sing, that by your Spirit, 
you would give us an understanding of who you really are. That you are great beyond all measure and that you are worthy of all praise. That we could exhaust the languages of the whole world and yet not fully express your goodness and your greatness to us in Jesus. Father, we thank you that Jesus died in our place and that his blood was more than enough to wash us clean and to make us new and to restore us to relationship with you. So we pray that as we sing, we would sing knowing that we are saved people, set free, and may it bring us joy and wonder and peace to know you, our Creator. Amen.